Okay, um, so uh, my name's Ben. Um, I am looking at the history of uh, surveillance technologies, uh, in particular um, CCTV and computer databases uh, in Britain from uh, around the 1950s to today. Um, so I did this course um, last year and um, as a result um, I've, uh, I went on and did a placement in Parliament for three months. Um, so I'm basically going to um, start by talking about um, some of the, the, the ways that I went about thinking about my action plan and then um, how that kind of played into my parliamentary placement. Um, so uh, I, I won't go into sort of all of the stuff around uh, the action plan, um, but um, I think uh, it, in terms of audience, which um, some people sometimes struggle with, um, I think there's a few kind of key points here. Um, one of the first, uh, when, when dealing with um, civil servants in particular, as has been said before, um, a lot of them have uh, very um, short careers in any one particular department. Um, and this is a tendency that's becoming more and more pronounced, particularly with things like the fast stream where uh, a placement may only last six months. Um, they really don't have the opportunity to become an expert in that area. Um, so there's an extremely short institutional memory. Um, and um, this is perhaps even more pronounced in areas of technical policy. Um, so uh, things like surveillance technology, for example, where there's very much a tendency to just sort of get the policy out there and then let somebody else worry about it. So um, I think they're, they're kind of a key target there. And I think talking about the legacy of systems uh, is an area that uh, they are, at least some of the time, interested in. Um, so, you know, explaining to them that the, the technology that they're currently, say, legislating for is going to be around for 20 or 30 years, um, and they need to start thinking about that, is an area that they're interested in. Um, having said that, um, I think civil servants, especially today, are often more reactive than active in terms of generating ideas. So um, targeting kind of the, the upstream ideas generators, so lobby groups, um, advocacy groups, that kind of thing, can sometimes be more useful um, because they have an awful lot of stakeholders, as has been mentioned before, and there's a real clamour. So if you can sort of piggyback on somebody else, um, so for example, in my action plan, um, I looked at groups like uh, Big Brother Watch, who are uh, extremely effective at um, getting heard by um, civil servants and MPs. Um, they're the kinds of people that really are, are potentially a lot more receptive than the civil servants themselves. Um, uh, you've also got to obviously think about the, the level at which the policies that you're interested in changing um, are being enacted. So, uh, for example, with surveillance policies, a lot of them are actually quite devolved now. So there you would, you would have to look at local authorities, perhaps more than uh, national um, policymakers. Um, I mean, ideally both. Um, I, I think, um, sort of, just to end that section, a cautionary note um, would be um, there's an increasing trend for um, 
engagement exercises um, to uh, engage with stakeholders. Um, and one, one thing I've seen is that sometimes there's a tendency for civil servants to bring in academics as um, the chair people, as the kind of um, uh, the facilitators of discussions without actually um, treating them as uh, people with ideas and evidence of their own. Um, so, you know, th there's a number of uh, academics I've spoken to who have been a bit frustrated that um, they were brought in on one of these engagement exercises. They thought, great, someone's listening to me. And uh, actually, sometimes it turns out they're not listening to you. They're just using you um, to listen to other people. So I think that could be uh, something to look out for. Um, another possibly um, obvious point, but one that is sometimes neglected, is that um, civil servants and MPs, despite what you might hear in the media, are actually people. Um, and they're people with personal inclinations, um, both for and against certain things. So rather than sometimes thinking about audiences in terms of departments or um, organisations, thinking about it in terms of people can be very useful um, because some of them are just going to be much more receptive to your stuff. Uh, they might have done history at university, for example. So uh, sometimes a quick Google search can be um, a really useful way of finding which people to target rather than the organisations that they belong to. Um, and if you can get their personal emails, uh, email addresses, then that can be quite a useful um, trick. Um, uh, when, when it comes to MPs in particular, um, looking at uh, Hansard speeches, you can search Hansard speeches. So if you put in the key terms that your policy stuff relates to, you can potentially find the MPs who have spoken about that in Parliament and who may be more receptive. Um, so, um, in terms of uh, the last point about um, uh, audience, um, I think one area I found is quite receptive that people don't often think about is oversight bodies. So, um, the kind of quangos, regulatory bodies, um, uh, auditing bodies, so like the National Audit Office, for example, um, are often very receptive to uh, history because um, you know, the core divisions of government are full of um, very stressed out civil servants uh, who are just sort of trying to get policies out the door as quickly as possible a lot of the time. Um, it's often now the job of things like the National Audit Office to rein them in and have a bigger picture perspective. So they can be more interested in how a policy is going to develop over time than the civil servants who are just interested about you know, kicking it out the door. Um, so uh, I think that's um, an important area. So inspectorates as well, and also even in the private sector, um, things like Deloitte. Um, there's a thing called Deloitte University, um, where you know, essentially it's kind of a, a private sector um, sort of intellectual sphere, which a lot of people would be suspicious of, but they do actually perform uh, auditing functions for business in the same way that the National Audit Office would do it for uh, the state, so they are potentially going to be interested in your stuff as well. Um, so moving on to how this has affected what I then went on to do, um, I uh, started a placement uh, three months ago at the Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology. Uh, this was a placement um, program organised by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. Um, the ESRC also has similar programmes, as do all the research councils. Um, and uh, I should also point out that they have 
these kinds of placements in various branches of government now, uh, kind of modelled on an American system. Um, so I found this a, a very useful opportunity. Um, I was actually working on something in some ways completely unconnected to my research. Uh, I was looking at big data, uh, so it's a, a, an emerging technology of, of now. Um, and uh, I was writing a four-page briefing note for MPs. Um, I found uh, it was very, um, uh, the stuff that I'd, I'd learned through my PhD was very useful for it uh, in terms of kind of long-term planning for these kinds of emerging technologies. Um, and the people there were very receptive to it, actually. Uh, initially, the, uh, the organization is mostly made up of hard scientists, um, so physicists, that kind of thing. And they were initially quite skeptical about the value of a historian. Um, despite the fact that actually in 2009, they produced this uh, briefing note called Lessons from History, in which they actually, uh, yeah, they actually cite Abigail and David um, on the value of uh, history to policy making, which kind of uh, demonstrates that they're expanding out to uh, evidence-based policy rather than just looking at um, science and technology policy. Um, so I think one of the, a few of the key um, points to take from this are, um, I've spoken to quite a few people at the AHRC, well, quite a few uh, AHRC funded candidates who did not actually realise that they could apply for this because they saw science and technology in the title of the, the thing. So first of all, actually check what you can apply for in terms of these placements. Um, it's a lot easier to get listened to when you're actually inside government rather than outside government, I think. Um, so these kinds of placements can be very useful in terms of engaging with people, both during the placement and after, because once you've kind of demonstrated that you can do this stuff, then people will trust you in a way that they didn't necessarily trust you before. And you also have a lot more private email addresses that you can use to contact people. Um, uh, so things I've got out of it are, um, it looks good on a CV, it opens doors um, and uh, it furnishes you with a better understanding of how the government actually works and how much uh, there is just sort of muddling through various issues that you assume there's some grand plan for. Um, so I would, I would really advocate checking the Funding Council's websites for these kinds of opportunities. Um, as a final point, um, what's the point of doing something like an action plan? Well, um, actually, for my application for this placement, I, uh, I recycled quite a lot of the content from the action plan and just sort of copied and pasted it into um, the application. Um, so thinking about it before meant that I had sort of ready-made material that I could use in that application, and I've used it in various other applications since. So um, I think it's a useful exercise. Anyway, thanks.